right-handed, so this is hard for me. I'm also left-eyed dominant and can't see out of that eye. God hates injustice. He absolutely hates it. And I know sometimes it's difficult for us to look at anything that God says or does and, and even associate the word hate with God. But God hates a many of things, sin being one of those. He hates our sin, and he will hold judgment against those who commit sin against him. And one of the most egregious sins that God truly hates is injustice. Now, right now in our country and throughout all of mankind and throughout history, we have seen injustice addressed in a great many ways. If you were just to read the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you would see the word injustice mentioned over a hundred times between those two uh, books that talk about the law that God speaks against injustice. Now, while we're talking about a great racial injustice in our country right now, I think we should define injustice by God's terms, by biblical terms, so that we can apply God's law to all types of injustice, because God is not just particular about one injustice. He is particular about all injustices, and he hates injustice. Throughout the history of, of all mankind, and even Israel, injustice has, has ruled and reigned and has been a particular issue for so many people. And so I thought this morning I might provide a definition of injustice from the, the, the uh, dictionary of, of Bible themes. Martin Manser defines injustice this way. He says, injustice is characterized by deception, dishonesty, and heartlessness. Injustice is the oppression of the needy and the weak. Its origin is Satan, and it works through the sinful hearts of men and women. And so when we think about this definition and we look at that, what we see is deception, dishonesty, heartlessness. But, but really what we're looking at is the action taken from one person upon another person that they deem to be weaker or needy or anything else. And for some reason, we have placed in our own minds and our own hearts that there is someone else that is below, beneath, or unworthy then. And that is not how God created us. He created each and every one of us in his image. And he created us equal. And while that might be a great statement in our Declaration of Independence and in our Constitution, we must understand that every living human being bears the image of God. And any time one human being takes advantage of another human being and oppresses that human being in such a way that they take a position of power, authority, wealth, or anything else above them, an injustice has been created. And God hates injustice. Now, I have been wrestling, and I, I wrote some of this down today because I, I, I've been wrestling with the ideal of what's happening in our world right now, particularly in regards to racial injustice that's at the forefront of every news story you could possibly think or imagine both in our country and around the world. And this is some of what, I, what, I, what I've written this past week. It says, even today we see injustice in various forms. In fact, right now in our nation, we see a movement that is addressing the racial injustice in particular. And as a white American, I have to confess that I've done a lot of soul searching these last few weeks, and I think many of you have as well. I've been confronted with issues that I've never really given as much attention to in the past as I am right now. And to be fair, I know that racism is real in America and if I'm perfectly honest, I know that I have certain prejudices and perhaps even racial prejudices that both influence my actions and my inactions. I've wrestled with these issues personally, and I've prayed about how or even if I should respond. And this is a very real and very emotional matter. And if I'm completely transparent, I feel very much darned if I do and darned if I don't. I've agonized over what to or not to say or how much is enough or, or how do I convey my concerns, my fears, my empathy or more without joining the bandwagon of those who just merely speak up, check the box and do absolutely nothing to actually address racial injustice or any other injustice that may be happening. 
I don't want to be one of those people who just does that. To be fair, it's actually very easy for me to condemn racism and, and all forms of injustice, but I know that it's not enough just to condemn something. There's where I struggle the most. What action do I take personally? What action do I take as a pastor? How do I lead my family, myself, my church to address the issues of racial injustice in our community, our state, our nation, and our world? And mostly, I've struggled to believe that my voice should even be added at all. Not because I don't care, not because I don't believe that something must be done, but because I don't know that I really add more to the conversation than just noise. I believe there are some more qualified, more educated, better suited, even called by God to lead on the charge on this matter especially. That doesn't mean that I'm silent. It doesn't mean that I, res- that I respect the reality of, of others to have a better opinion than mine. It just means that I'm not equipped. It means that I'm not, I'm not equipped to lead that change in this way, and I don't feel like I'm called to do so. However, I think that all leaders need followers, supporters, teams to help them, pray for them, and to implement changes necessary to make a real difference. And to that very end, I'm committed to listen, to learn, to pray, to support change as God leads me who, uh, to follow those who are leading me in this area. And so my commitment is this. I'm going to study God's word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach God's word faithfully, and especially in regard to how God responds to all injustice, not just this one. And so far what I've found is not only does God hate injustice, But if God hates injustice, his people must hate injustice too. If God hates injustice, his people must hate injustice too. They must hate any time one human being, regardless of their status or another, takes advantage of another in such a way to gain favor, power, authority, or even take life from them in any way. I'm not talking about the pursuit of happiness. I'm talking about their life, their dignity, who they are made in the image of God. And if we cannot see that God hates injustice then it would be difficult for us as God's people to see that God's people must likewise hate that injustice. It's not just enough for God to hate it. He is calling us to address it in our own lives and in the lives of others so that all people might come to the knowledge of God just as the waters cover the sea. If God hates injustice, God's people must hate injustice. And there's no place in the scripture where I found better to speak of grievous injustice, a great number of injustice than in the book of Amos. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open up the book of Amos. If you haven't marked from Jonah from last week, just turn back a couple of pages. It's only, Amos is nine chapters, Jonah is four chapters. Amos is a really interesting guy because um, Amos was actually not a prophet uh, at this time. And I shared with you last week a little bit of, 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 of how the kingdoms were divided and Jonah was the prophet to Israel and so he spoke to, to Israel. But right now the kingdoms are actually divided and, and, and Amos is not a prophet. He's a shepherd and he's a gatherer of sycamore uh, uh, figs. And he's actually from Judah. And God calls this, this farmer and this shepherd out from Judah and he says, I want you to go to the north and I want you to address Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II is perhaps the most worldly successful king of all of Israel's time. And while he's worldly successful, he has a great army. He's amassed tremendous wealth. He's, he's expanded the territory of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the people are enjoying a great many things, but they are not honoring God with all the things that they have accumulated and amassed and all the blessings that they have are by their own sweat of their brow, not by God. And so many of them are taken through great and grievous injustices. 
And so God calls this man Amos, and he says, I want you to leave Judah, you, you shepherd, and I want you to go talk to the king of Israel, the ten tribes to the north, not the two tribes to the south. I want you to go talk to him specifically. I want you to tell him what I have for you to say. Now, here's the best thing. Amos actually might not have been a prophet, but he knew God's word. And because he knew God's word, and I find it so ironic, if you will, that here's yet another shepherd God calls out and says, go and tend to my flock. Go take care of my sheep. Go and call them out. Those who have wandered off, go and tell them to come back to me. And here it is, another shepherd. I met a man many years ago from Holland. We were in Costa Rica, and we were debating back and forth regarding the one true God. He was an atheist, and he says, why does your God um, call himself a shepherd? I said, could you tell me a CEO that's got better character than the shepherd man? He says, no, I can't. I said, the humility of the shepherd to know that he cares for all of his sheep. I said, that's the greatest example that we have. If you really understood the shepherd's heart, you would know that the shepherd's heart is for everything that's under his care. And that's what God calls us to do. And that's what God has called Amos to do as he sends him to the north. And and what Amos does, he talks to Jeroboam. And, and, and here's what's happening in Jeroboam's kingdom. They've got all these riches. They've got all this power. They've got all this authority. They have all this influence throughout the region. They have all these things that are happening, but they have become apathetic to such a point to such a point that they don't even trust God, listen to God, talk to God. And that apathy actually does something terrible. And this next graphic I want you to see here is that apathy actually leads to idolatry. Idolatry leads to injustice, and injustice leads to judgment. And here's what's happening in all the kingdom of Israel and Judah and the surrounding areas. Is that Jeroboam is smack dab in the middle of all these nations. And in the middle of all these nations, he is gathering wealth and amassing things, and great injustices are happening. So much, in fact, Jeroboam sets up two temples in the north and the south of Israel. And in those two temples, he places two golden calves, and they worship those golden calves. He also puts asterisk poles up, and they, they worship the goddess of sex and fertility. They worship the gods of war. They worship all these other gods in these temples. And he is actually giving commands and royal treasury to the people to go and worship at these places as well as worship in, in Israel. He's doing this both and, hedging his bets. It's like putting all your money on red and black. You're going to win one way or the other, right? But yet we're not playing the same game when it comes right down to it because he's betting against God every time and God is asking him to come back. And this apathetic society has grown in such a way that they're prosperous, they're rich, they're, they're not at war, and when they are, they defeat everybody. And all these great things are happening here. They become so apathetic, they begin to turn to idolatry because apparently it must be these gods that gave them all their success. And this is a grieve, a grievous issue between them and God and everybody else. And God is saying, listen, I finally have had enough. I've had enough. In Amos chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, we see multiple times where God calls out all of these different people. And anytime you see the words, thus says the Lord, you want to pay attention to that. Because thus says the Lord is an absolute, a guarantee, I'm going to do this thing. And if you read all of chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's only like 18 to 20 verses in there, you're going to see a couple of different things. And God calls out, and in verses 3 and 4, he says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Now, here's what's really interesting. I want to show you this map because here's what God is really doing. If you read all the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, what God is saying is this. Right now, my kingdom that I gave the promised land to and gave 12 tribes, all of this land divided up in Israel, they're now divided between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And there's 10 of them to the north and there's 2 of them to the south. 
And then in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God calls out for three times and for four, he calls out another sin, another specific sin, another specific issue against him, a charge against them. And he says to those in Tyre, I'm going to do this. To those in Damascus, I'm going to do this. To those in Ammon, I'm going to do this. To those of Moab, I'm going to do this. To those in Edom, I'm going to do this. And those in Gaza, I'm going to do this. Keep in mind, none of these are God's chosen people and none of them are the tribes of Israel. But they're all living amongst one another in this divided kingdom in the north and the south. And so God takes this little guy named Amos from the south. He says, go to the north and tell this giant kingdom and its king that right here in the middle of all these people, God has placed his favor, the nation of Israel. And because he has placed his favor here in the nation of Israel, he said, Israel, you're supposed to be a light unto the nations. You're supposed to be telling Tyre and Damascus and Ammon and Moab and Edom and Gaza and all the surrounding peoples about the one true God who hates injustice and loves his creation and wants to see them come back. But since you've not done that, it's like a bullseye right here in the middle. And Israel, God's coming for you. Here's this little shepherd man, Amos, going up and telling Jeroboam, you're right smack in the middle of this. You're in the crosshairs, literally, of my judgment. Because whenever we look and we see that apathy leads to idolatry, it splits kingdoms, it divides people, it turns people away from God and they go to worshiping idols. And then that idolatry leads to injustice. And then injustice happens because around this place in Israel and in Judah, every time someone would, would not have enough money or they would charge extra interest or they couldn't pay it back, They were actually selling their own people to all these other non-Jewish, non-chosen people to pay their own debts. Great injustices are taking place. And God hates injustice because he's watching his own people, Israel and Judah, turn against their own and take advantage of them. And, and, and see that they are poor and that they are needy and they're oppressing them in such a way that they're selling them off for slaves and they're committing all sorts of atrocities. They're, they're, they're engaging in some form of sacrifice, some of which even some of these are doing human sacrifice. And God's saying, you're doing business with people who are doing human sacrifice and yet I have prospered you to tell them about me and you're learning more about their false gods than you're telling them about yours. And I hate injustice and I don't like what's happening to all the followers out there. Because you, King Jeroboam, I'm coming for you. And where the head goes, the body follows. And you're leading the nation of Israel to do that. And here's this little quiet Amos, this little shepherd guy, is up telling all the stories about this. And in Amos chapter 2, verse 6, we see that God turns his, his attention directly to Israel. And he tells them this. He says, thus says the Lord. Here we go again, right? Anytime you see that in Scripture, thus says the Lord, you mean it. God means business. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. I told you not to do it. This is what I'm going to do because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They are busy selling off their own people that they have oppressed that they should be helping out. And if you go back to Levitical law and to Deuteronomy and you read those things, it says you should take care of the poor. You should see that they have their needs. You don't go taking them for a personal debt. I mean, could you imagine that? They needed, they needed money for whatever reason, probably for food and for shelter and for survival. They go and borrow money from a rich person who charges them not just interest but extraordinary interest, knowing they can never pay it back. And then when they can't pay it back, Israel takes them and they sell them for the same price as a pair of sandals. What is the value? of a human being it's far more than a pair of sandals it's far more than a pair of sandals and God is saying not only is a human being far more than a pair of sandals it's worth the very blood of my son Jesus and I'm going to shed that blood for you 
But instead, the people of Israel are selling off for a pair of sandals. And then it says this in verse 7. It says, those who trample the head of the poor in the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Here's what he's saying. Not only are you just selling people off for, for financial gain, now you're committing all these terrible atrocities, uh, uh, not just idolatry, but adultery. You're breaking every rule. It's like, it's, like they took, it's like they took those 613 rules that are in Leviticus, and they used them as a checklist of how to sin. And they just kept checking off and 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 checking off. And they made a plan for that to say, this is how I'm going to, to, uh, to, to get at God, is we're going to just turn our back on him completely. And, and, and they profane him in such a way that they're just creating all kinds of atrocities. And God's saying, this is a grievous injustice. This is a terrible injustice. And I don't like this. And Israel, I'm coming for you specifically. I'm coming to deal with you specifically in this matter. And they lay themselves down beside every altar. These people were going both to the altars of God and the altars of all these other places. And when they didn't have enough money to pay for all the sacrifices or for the animals or whatever, they would pledge their cloaks as money to get that done. And when they would pledge their cloaks as money to get that done, the people who took their cloaks decided it wasn't enough. And they took that too. They literally took the shirts off their own neighbor's back. That's injustice for a multitude of reasons. They drank the wine of those who had not paid the fine or paid the fine. They were just taking and just taking, and the rich were getting richer and, and, and richer and richer, and they were doing it uh, on the backs of the poor, and they were oppressing them over and over, and when they couldn't pay, they would sell them off. Now look, this is terrible, and this is not what God's plan is. And Amos is calling them out, and in the first couple of chapters, you see where God is calling out their sins in chapters 1 and 2, and, and 3 through 6, you see kind of these, these, po these, these uh, poems and, and other things that he writes, and he talks about these things that are happening. But if there's any place in the scripture that we should really look, it's, it's Amos chapter 5. Because in Amos chapter 5, we see just the heart of what God is saying when he speaks of the injustice that is being committed against people, not just his people, but people. And listen, here's Israel. Israel is this country that everybody's looking at. They're rich, they're powerful, they're strong. They have this God who parts seas and wipes out uh, Pharaoh and all of his people. And they have this God that is so strong and so powerful. And everybody's watching them on some level or the other, but they're not the example they're supposed to be. They're not who God wants them to be. And because they're not who God wants them to be, they're setting a bad example. And God is calling them out on this, and Amos uses the phrase, the great and terrible day of the Lord. He's actually the first one to do it chronologically, because we're somewhere around 800 to 70, 760 B.C. during this time. And God is calling them out, and he's saying, listen, in 40 years from now, an army's going to come, and he's going to wipe out Israel and Judah. And he's going to take all of you out, and you're going to be taken out of this promised land, and you're going to be exiled. That army's actually going to be Assyria that we talked about last week. And those Assyrians are going to come, and they're going to wipe them out. And in some time, what will happen is the Assyrians and, the, and, the, and some of the Jewish people are actually going to intermarry, and we're going to get the Samaritans out of this deal. And that's one of the reasons when the Jews come back to the promised land, whenever Ezra and Nehemiah rebuild the temple and rebuild the city, they hate the Samaritans because they're half-Jews. They're, they're still having this injustice against them. So they're half Jewish and they hate them for that. And so here's the problem that we have is that we cannot continue to have God looking at his people and saying this is not going to work. So let's look at, uh, at Amos chapter 5. I've had a lot of interruptions in my life, but I, is that, what is that? <laughs> what is that? Is it racist? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm so sorry, but I guess it's just part of it, right? All right, Amos chapter 5, verse 21. I want to read this, this passage to you. It's 21 through 24. It's a great passage of Scripture. We're going to go through the first couple of chapters. God is saying this to them, because here's where their double mind and their hearts are divided in so many different ways. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Here's what God's saying. You go to church. You're religious. You, you make sacrifices. You gather your grain and you do your dances and you follow all the festivals and you celebrate and you thank me and you ask me for rain and you do all this stuff. But then you also go to these other these, these, you prostitute yourself, is what the scripture says, to all these foreign gods, and, and you sacrifice to them, to these gods of sex, and you have all these weird, crazy, terrible, uh, uh, idolatrous uh, actions and behaviors. And so you're doing both. And so not only is your heart divided, it doesn't belong to me, your actions are demonstrating that. And so when you gather, you profane me. You make me so upset and so sick that I'm not going to accept your sacrifices. You go and you do all of your little solemn assemblies and all your little churchy stuff, and it's not enough for me because your heart belongs to another God, and you're constantly living in such a way that your apathy has led you to idolatry, and your idolatry leads to injustices, and your injustices must be judged. And I've had enough of it. I've had enough of watching you not trust me, not follow me, not love me, not thank me, not give me the credit that I'm due for your success and instead turning to other gods. And when you do that, those other gods, because remember, injustice is a tool of Satan perpetrated by men and women. And Satan is using you to oppress others because you've turned your back on God through apathy alone that led to idolatry. You see how that process kind of goes? It's like this really crazy cycle. When God gives us something and we don't thank him for it, then we turn and we thank somebody else for it, or we give somebody else credit for it, we begin to worship that thing which is not God. And God says, I'm the only one worthy of worship. And when we worship that thing, our attitudes get in such a way that, that we begin to oppress others and treat others terribly because we've gotten yet another distant level away from God. And when God says that happens, I have to call you back. And the way to call you back is to call judgment upon you. But here's the good thing about a gracious, loving, kind God. He says, if you, re if you repent, I will relent. If you will confess your sins and turn back to me, I'll forgive you for those things and bring you back. But you've got to put away all of your idols. You've got to get rid of all those things. You have to destroy all that and stop worshiping these other gods and stop having this, this sexually immoral uh, lifestyle that permeates throughout your entire kingdom and everything you're doing. Because when you do that, it just keeps getting a step further and a step further and a step further. And people are getting harmed by this, especially the weaker and the needier and those who really just need their God to come and help them out. And look, if, it's not that God doesn't hear their prayer. He's just choosing not to act at the moment in that way. But when he does, what's he going to do? He's going to come for the poor and the oppressed and the needy. Only the sick need a doctor, and he's going to come for them. And God is saying, those of you in power and authority, I hate the way you behave. I despise the way that you face in these parties and you just thumb your nose at me. I don't like that at all. But look what he says in, in verses 23 and 24. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If you've ever think that you've heard that last verse before, it's because you have. Because in, on April 16th in 1963, in letters from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King wrote these words to pastors in the South. And he was calling out for them. And what was he calling them out? He was calling them out for being apathetic. 
He is saying you have sat around and done nothing. It is time for you churches, for you God-fearing people, for you southern pastors, for, you, for those of you who proclaim the name of the Lord to stop gathering together with these, these, these noisy harps and cymbals, to stop throwing these feasts and these festivals every Sunday morning and still not turning to God, for allowing the injustices that are happening not just to black people but to all people throughout these United States to continue when the church needs to have a voice in this place. And it's not a voice just trying to fix racial reconciliation it's a voice of calling people back to God and you're being apathetic as I sit here in a jail cell the rest of you are just holding church like it's nobody's business and you're going on about your life and in the meantime there are people suffering great injustices because they have gone apathetic they've become the worship idols like their own success their own skin color their own opportunities whatever it may be they've worshiped those idols and those idols have led them to oppress other people because they're different from them in whatever way and that injustice grieves god and judgment is required and martin luther king writes this letter and he's begging these pastors he's not asking them to to have an uprising and to burn things down and to tear stuff apart what he's asking them is to step up and pray and begin to lead people to love god that's one of the greatest messages that we don't hear enough of about the reverend dr martin luther king is that he was an amazing pastor and he wrote a lot of awesome scriptures but he loved jesus and he loved Jesus, and his love for Jesus actually led him to love others. And, 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 and he was, I believe, very much martyred for a cause of injustice, not just racial injustice. Because I think if he were alive in today's times, that it wouldn't just be race that he would be fighting against. He'd be fighting against every time another human being was oppressed by another human being for the purpose of gaining uh, privilege or, or power or authority or wealth at their expense. Now, that's not the same thing as you working for someone and, and they make more money than you, right? That's a job. You can enter in and out of that anytime you want. You may not like your job, but it pays well. And sometimes we do a lot of things for the, for the jobs that we have. But we're talking about truly actually oppressing people being an evil cause that is brought about because we have strayed away from God. And so while I look at, at all the marches that are going on, and I look at the Black Lives Matter movement, and I look at, at all the speeches, and I look at the, the protesting and the rioting, and I separate them very clearly between the two, while I look at those two things, I think people have a right to speak up. In fact, I think they have a responsibility to speak up and talk about God's love for all people and how we should treat people differently. And until we get our own hearts back to that place, it's going to take a prophet like a shepherd boy out of the middle of nowhere to come up and get in our face. He's going to come from another place and get in our face and tell us, God, God's going to deal with you. He's got you right in the crosshairs because where he's planted you was to be a person of influence around all the people around you. How are you influencing them? If you're being quiet, you may be just letting them live in their apathy. Maybe your apathy is leading to their idolatry. Perhaps it is. If you're saying words that are just fueling hate and everything else, then maybe you're not part of the solution. Look, I don't know what the total solution is, but I can guarantee you this. If the solution doesn't include us turning back to God, it's not a good solution and it won't work. It will not work. And I think as, as Dr. Martin Luther King wrote those letters to all those pastors and called them out, I think one of the great things he was calling them to was to repent, to come back to God, because he saw that God was going to bring a great judgment upon his people, not just an American people, not just a nation, uh, you know, th this nation or that nation, but his people who are not following him and trusting him and turning back to him. And God says, I've had enough of this. I'm calling you to repent, and if you repent, I will relent. But if you do not repent, then this, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to carry this sentence out. I'm coming to make sure that this happens. 
And when he says that let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing stream, we have to understand it's not self-righteousness, it's God's righteousness, and it's God that makes us right with him. And if our relationship with him was stronger and better where it was supposed to be, guess what? We don't have the injustices that require judgment. And those injustices don't exist because we're not worshiping the idols of whatever that may be in our life. And those idols aren't being worshiped because we're not apathetic. We're turning back to our God. And Amos is calling out Jeroboam for this, just as I think God is calling us out today. And he's saying, not only do I hate injustice, but if I hate injustice, my people must also hate injustice. And if my people also hate injustice, then this is where their life is going to turn to. And this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. Because this is, this is what I want you to hear this morning, is that true worship, true worship of God always leads to justice, righteousness, and loving one another. It always leads to justice, righteousness, and loving one another. Now, listen, I don't like a lot of people for a lot of reasons. I'll just be honest about that. Very few of them, I think, are actually racially motivated. I think it's more because I think they're morons, and I treat them poorly for that. That's probably not the best attitude to have. But I can't tell you that I'm not influenced by someone's race or their, their, their status in life, how much money they make, where they live. I've been all over this world and all over this country, and I've seen people. I've grown up in the South. I remember uh, in the third grade, my mother was trying to put my brother and I into school, and when we went to go get registered, the, the, the principal of the school said, please don't put your children in this school because if you do, there will be two of the only four white kids in the entire school. This was in southern, uh, southern Mississippi. And my mother fought. She's from the North. My dad grew up in the South. I don't know how they got together, but there were very different mindsets on a lot of things, especially including their food, right? But when it came right down to it, my mother did not have near the tendencies that my dad did growing up. That's how he grew up in the 40s and 50s. But when we got to that school, the principal begged my mother, don't put these kids in this school. Please don't put these kids in this school. And my mother fought. I used to, my mother, five foot four of her, mean as a snake. When she gets angry, she gets a tap in that finger. I mean, just getting after it. And I watched her tap that finger that day, just on and on and on, and put the other one in the guy's face across that counter until her fingernail literally broke and popped off across the wall. She was so mad that this guy was saying, your kids can't come to this school. And what he was trying to say was, they're not safe here. It doesn't matter what your thoughts and your beliefs are, they're not safe here. And she finally wore him down. Of course, my brother and I are, you know, I'm in the third grade. I don't, I don't even know what's going on, right? I mean, I'm trying to figure out what we're going to eat next and all that other stuff. But I do remember this. As they're looking at the paperwork, the guy says, is this your current address? And my mom says, yes. He goes, you actually live one mile outside of our district. You can't put your kids in this school anymore. What an injustice, right? God hates injustice. And if God hates injustice, his people must also hate injustice. And we must hate injustice in such a way that we're beating it like we're killing snakes. It's sinfulness. It's sinfulness to take advantage of any other human being for whatever purpose is. Now, sometimes we have to understand that there are things we can do in a secular mindset that can alleviate and can, can remove some issues and can make some things better. But it is not enough because only true worship of God always leads, always leads to justice, righteousness, and loving one another. You cannot tell someone that you love them if you say that you hate them. That's not loving God. And when God hates our sin, he eventually will judge us for that. And some of that sin is us being unjust when it comes to the rest of humanity. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You remember that song when we were kids, we used to sing that? And if you've never grown up in a, in a, in a, in a place where, where races mix, then you might not have the same mindset. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a movie called The Help. Anybody ever watched that? 
My dad grew up in southern Alabama, born in 45. My wife grew up in A-Leaf. She's born in, I won't tell you when. My daughter was born in, in, in 1999, and she grew up here in Katy. And I remember watching the three of them watch that movie, and my dad, he just watched it. He related to it because he, he saw that firsthand with his own eyes that this was kind of how things were. That's just kind of how it was. And it, it wasn't this great racial prejudice that my father had, but he just this was the society he lived in and how he, how he grew up. My wife grew up in Leaf, and her two, two best friends were Chinese and black. My daughter grew up here in Katy, and they speak 200 languages in the schools. And so three generations saw things very differently. And while my dad was, was not, you know, just greatly angered and outraged, my, my daughter kind of was. And it wasn't that my dad was, 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 was um, uh, a bad, terrible person, but he was a bit apathetic because he'd just grown up around that. But he also talked about how he saw things change. He talked about how he saw men for who they really were. He talked about who some of his best friends uh, were, were black when he was growing up. But they had to have their way on certain times. They could only be friends in certain areas and certain arenas. I feel like we've come a, a, a great distance in our country as of right now. But we've got a whole lot further to go. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter how many protests or how many riots or how many laws or how many whatever. None of that stuff actually is going to matter. It's not going to last if we use man's criteria for this, because here's the problem. Man can never live up to his own criteria. We set all these parameters for everybody else to jump on bandwagon, but man can't live up to his own criteria. We've never been able to, but true worship of God will lead to justice, righteousness, and loving one another. And so while we look at Amos and we feel like there was just nothing but gloom and doom, and Amos is saying that, 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 that God's coming for you, and it did happen because they did not repent and God did not relent. He says, I will do this. I will not revoke the punishment. This is what's going to happen. We do see a glimmer of hope in Amos chapter 9, right towards the very end of this. Because this is our God and this is what makes him so amazing. Is that no matter how terrible we are, no matter how apathetic, no matter how idolatrous we are, no, no matter how unjust we are, no matter all those things, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it says this in Amos chapter 9. It says, in that day, this is when my judgment comes and I wipe everybody out, I'm still going to be gracious. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. God is saying this, I made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I got all of the people of, e uh, of Israel, all the Hebrews out of Egypt. And if you ever go back to Exodus 20 and look at the Ten Commandments, it says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And he says, I am the one who was just and took away the injustices that the Egyptians were putting upon you. Therefore, I'm going to give you a list of ten commandments, and they're going to deal with two relationships, how you relate to me and how you relate to one another. And if you'll take care of those ten things of how you relate to me and how you relate to one another, you'll remember that I'm the God who rescued you out of the house of slavery, that I'm the one who took you out of injustice. But they fell again, and they wanted a king, and they got Saul, and they ended up with David. And God made the same promise to David. He said, out of the line of Judah, I will raise up a king, and he'll be the Messiah, and that's going to be Jesus. And this is what we see in Amos chapter 9, that God said, even though I'm going to pass judgment upon you because of your injustice for how you've treated one another and how you've treated the nations around you, I'm not going to completely wipe you out. I'm only going to get rid of most of you. In fact, if you read Amos, what you might find is that God pretty much called a 90% rule out there and said, uh, if, there's, if there's a thousand, I'll, I'll leave a hundred. 
If there's 10, I'll leave one. God says, I, I, you're going to feel it. Trust me. You're going to know that I have brought judgment upon you for your sinfulness. But he says, I will not completely remove you and wipe you out from the face of this earth. I will raise one up from the booth of David, and I will provide for you the Messiah, the King of kings, who brings justice and righteousness. He wears it on his robe, and he's the only one able to open the scrolls and declare the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Injustice is terrible, and God hates injustice, and God's people should hate injustice too. And so right now in our country, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how much more I'm going to say, but I will tell you this, that in the middle of all of this, I believe God answered an amazing prayer, one that honestly I wasn't even praying for. I think God just set it up in front of me and says, here's an opportunity. Decide what you're going to do today on this. The principal from Bryan Elementary sent me a, an email uh, about two weeks ago. And he says, we want to continue the conversation in our classrooms, particularly in the fourth grade. And in the fourth grade, we have a reading project that we're planning out for next year. And what we've identified is that the books in our library are predominantly white. They don't have black, brown, yellow, green, blue, purple characters in them at all. They only have predominantly white characters. And we've identified a bunch of books that we want to bring into the classroom so that kids can open the books and read the stories and see the pictures and see themselves on the pages. And we'd like to invite your church to be a part of this conversation to keep that conversation going in our school. Now, my first instinct was, man, the school actually asked us to help out, and I think this is amazing. My second one, I just have to be fair, was, oh, great, now we're going to have to go through there and be book censors, and I don't think anybody really wants to be book censors. And after praying about this and talking it over with, with, with the, the leadership of our church and, and even talking with some other friends, I got all kinds of different reactions, and what I've decided is this, we're going to trust God on this, but we're going to help keep that conversation going to those fourth-grade kids in, the, in that classroom. And there's probably going to be books in there that's going to have some stuff that we don't theologically align with. But guess what? We're not buying theology books, and we know that. But we cannot allow apathy to lead to idolatry and idolatry to lead to injustice in the next generation. As adults, we can fix that in our own generation. We can take steps, but we can keep the conversation going, at least keeping it open in such a way that perhaps maybe in the midst of this, someone might hear, you know, I wonder why we don't like people that are different from us. I wonder if I wonder what's going on, and maybe, just maybe, they'll hear that small voice of God is saying, because you don't see them the way I see them. And until you do, bad things will continue to happen, and my judgment will come if injustice continues. But when you love people, when you love your neighbor the way that you're supposed to, when you relate to them like you're supposed to, you'll do things that show the image of God that they are created and valued and loved and equal. And that's what I want for us to do. And so, church, we're going to buy those books. We're going to make sure that fourth grade classroom at that school has an opportunity to do that. We're going to continue that conversation. Even so much if we have to say, you know what, I didn't read that book, but I don't agree with that, but I do like the conversation that's going on. I can't fix everything, and I can't set all these standards by that, that we can't live up to. So I pray that you'll pray with us. I pray that you'll look at your own hearts and your own lives, and you'll realize that not only does God hate injustice, but his people must hate it too. And if you're having difficulties about how do I respond, what do I do, how do I live in this time, you're not alone. I want you to understand that. And if there's any truth to that statement is this, the enemy wants you to feel like you are because he wants you to stay apathetic. He wants you to continue to stop treating people as the image bearers of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. And Father, we do, in fact, repent for how we've been apathetic towards anything, Lord how we've not done the things we're supposed to do, how we've not loved you the way we're supposed to love you, how we've not loved your cre 